Welcome to Christian Life Issues for today, another podcast on your family God's way. We're sharing material from a book that I wrote some time ago called Your Family God's Way. The subtitle is Developing and Sustaining Relationships in the Home. We've come now to uh, a section which I'm calling You're Really Talking. Communication worthy of the name Real Talk includes being open and honest with one another. That was a lot of what we talked about in the last podcast. But that's not its only component. Real Talk is like a diamond. It has many facets, all of which are essentially part of the whole of communication. Several words in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 emphasize that real talk occurs when people have proper motives for speaking. We must be concerned not only about what we say, but about why we say it. In this passage, the Apostle Paul writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, instructs us to speak only such a word as is good for edification or only what is helpful for building others up. According to this verse, every word that we speak must be intended to build others up. It must be for the purpose of edification. The Greek word translated edification was used to describe the work of a carpenter or someone who was building something very carefully according to specification. So it's talking about building something up rather than tearing something down. In 1987, We made a contract with a Christian man to build us a house. We worked with him in planning all the details. Then we watched as he and his men dug the basement, laid the foundation, put up the external walls, and did all the other things that needed to be done in building a house. Fortunately for us, fortunately for us, we had a good carpenter doing that particular work. He built the house. We worked with him in planning all the details. And then we watched as he and his men dug the basement, laid the foundation, put up the external walls. They didn't use inferior materials or do sloppy work. They were careful to do only what edified our house. And when they were finished, we literally had no complaints. We still don't. We can't honestly say that if we were to build another house, 
that we would hesitate in hiring this builder. No, we'd hire him again. We'd be glad to employ the same contractor. He proved himself to be a good edifier of houses. Similarly, we're called by God to be edifiers of people, especially other family members. As builders of people, we must be just careful. In fact, even more careful than our contractor was. We must be careful about the quality of our materials and workmanship. Paraphrasing Paul, I believe he's saying, we must be assured that nothing you put into the edification project of building up your family or building up your relationship with someone is more significant than the words you use. Every word you speak will either build someone up or tear him down. You should make sure that whatever you say is motivated by a desire to build others up. If it isn't, then don't say it. To underscore the importance of properly motivated speech, Paul uses a second phrase that virtually repeats the statement they had just made. He said, you must give grace to the hearers. Now, the word grace means, of course, that which is beneficial, that which is good for that person. Demonstrating our intelligence to those who listen is not the purpose of communication. Demonstrating our intelligence, of course, will be part of good communication, but that's not why we speak, just to demonstrate that we're intelligent. We are not interested in just communicating to people that we're clever. That must not be the purpose of our speech. Neither should we speak to vent out our frustration or to get even or to put someone else down. In our conversation, we're called by God to do nothing from selfishness, out of competitiveness or self-seeking or empty conceit, out of a desire for self-exaltation or self-promotion. It's important that we speak with humility, says Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. So, we must regard others as more important than ourselves and merely looking out for our own interest is not what we should do, but rather we should look out for the interest of others and how we can help them, how we can build them up. 
I think of the dramatic impact that these directives would have for families if each person would conscientiously apply them to his own communication efforts. Imagine what our families would be like if all competitive, self-promoting talk were eliminated. To say that we should speak only such a word as will minister grace to other people doesn't mean that we should never say anything negative, but it does mean that we should be careful that what we say is said for a very positive purpose. You know, it's important for us to um, never continually offer constructive criticism. There's a place for that, but we need to make sure that that isn't all we give, and that isn't the main thing we talk to others about, giving them constructive criticism. What this phrase indicates is that when we speak, we must be honestly convinced that what we are saying, whether negative or positive, is beneficial to the other person. All negative talk, if you use it, must have a positive purpose. Fulfilling Paul's directive about properly motivated speech doesn't mean that our conversation must always focus on extremely heavy issues or be filled with quotes from the Bible. Even chit-chat may benefit in building others up. It can break down barriers, establish contact, lift other people's spirits. It can also make people feel comfortable and ready to talk about substantial issues. Structuring your conversation along the lines suggested by Paul in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 would be an excellent way of building up the other person. Paul tells us to think and talk about whatever is pure, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And so we're to speak words that minister grace, and those words will include words that would be fit into those categories of being admirable, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, and pure. That's the kind of speech that we should minister to other people, and that would be ministering grace to them. All too often, family conversations tends to be of a downbeat sort, filled with complaints, rebukes, criticisms, unpleasant news, and disappointments, failures, and difficulties. 
Certainly being open and honest with one another requires some interaction of this sort. Nevertheless, two cautions are in order concerning negative communication. First, we must be certain that it will have a positive purpose. And second, we must endeavor to make most of our talking positive rather than negative. The Greek word translated give grace or benefit can mean to give favor or help to others. Understood this way, real talk occurs when we give some proper, sincere expressions of appreciation to other family members. That ought to be going on constantly. Expressions of appreciation. Providing positive insight, encouragement, comfort, instruction, and correction would also be examples of the kind of good speech that Paul is referring to in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. In keeping with this biblical emphasis on the positive, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, communication somehow increasingly asserts that unless our positive speech outweighs our negative speech by a given many to one comparison, in other words, what we say in terms of the positive should far outweigh whatever we say that is criticism or negative. People will tend to be put off by us if that's not true. Your own experience will confirm this clarification. Whom have you found most helpful to you? Whom are you most willing to listen to and receive help from? Is it that person whose conversation is primarily negative or the one whose speech is realistically positive? Is it the person whose words reflect selfishness or someone genuinely interested in your welfare? The encourager edifier is the one most likely to benefit you. Regardless of whether the other person speaks the truth, you're not driven to him or uplifted by his predominantly negative conversation. Speaking to one another in a proper manner is another significant facet in the diamond of communication. Words packaged with bitterness, wrath, sinful anger, clamor, slander, and malice will short-circuit effective communication. That's Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so kind, pleasant, gracious, and gentle words will facilitate real talk. 
The wise in heart, the Bible says, will be called discerning. And sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. That's Proverbs chapter 16, verse 21. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, easy to receive, and healing to the bones. They will be restorative, strengthening, and positive. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 24. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Let it always be gracious, seasoned with salt, appealing, so that you may know how, not just what, to answer everyone. That's Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Suppose I were upstairs in my home and called out to one of my children, would you please come upstairs? On paper, that may seem like a simple request, meaning only one thing. In real life, it could mean several things, depending on a number of factors. Among them are the rate of my speech and the tone, the inflection, the intensity, and the volume of my voice. If I speak these words in an angry, demanding tone, they mean one thing. A pleading manner of speech would impart a different idea. A cheerful and gracious tone would convey yet another message. Same words, but the tone would communicate different messages. On occasion, when I've said something to a family member, and gotten a less than desirable response. I've either thought or sometimes the disturbing response was prompted by other factors such as the person's bad mood and the unpleasant circumstances in which they found themselves. Often, however, the irritable response reflected the unbiblical manner in which I spoke to that person. Most of us are very aware that the way others speak to us has a major impact on our responses. Unfortunately, what we readily acknowledge about the speech of others, we tend to forget about our own speech that the way we speak influences how others respond to us. Speaking in a harsh, insulting manner tends to reap a similar response. That's what Proverbs 15, verse 1 says. And Proverbs 18, verses 6 and 7 say the same thing. Conversely, when we use sweetness of speech, the result is soft answers. Pleasant words plant seeds that often bear equally desirable fruit. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 21. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. Look at those verses and see what they say about the importance of sweetness of speech. Good communicators constantly ask themselves, Is this the right time to say what I'm thinking? Timeliness 
may make all the difference. Wholesome speech is according to the need of the moment. Ephesians chapter 4, 20, verse 29. And then Proverbs 15, verse 23 says, A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. One of the most interesting insights about the importance of properly timed speech is found in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 14. He who blesses his friend early in the morning with a loud voice, it will be reckoned to him a curse. Blessing other people might include impressions and expressions of appreciation or praise or sharing scripture or other positive information. Doing it with a loud voice indicates enthusiasm, it may, and also it may indicate excitement. The Bible talks about blessing his friend early in the morning with a loud voice. Doing it with a loud voice indicates enthusiasm and excitement. Instinctively, we might assume that such a practice would always benefit a relationship. But God says, in effect, that there are some times when you will get yourself in trouble with other people when you bless them with a loud voice at the wrong time. How might your upset with someone be used to praise him? The answer is, doing it early in the morning, you may be wide awake, but the other person may still be somewhat asleep and not ready to be awakened. You may be a fast starter, but the other person may not get going until later in the morning. So timing is so important. Properly speaking to the person might say you should wait till mid-morning. And frankly, your enthusiasm may tend to irritate the other person rather than encourage him. You can count that the other person would not be like you. You may think he should be just like you when you communicate him at different times during the day in keeping with the way he actually functions. That's what we ought to be concerned about. Getting to know the other person. There's a time when certain things ought to be spoken. And there's a time when the same things would be better left unsaid. It's possible for my speech to be proper in content, motive, and manner, and yet not be good speech because the timing is wrong. I've learned that there are certain times when my wife appreciates certain suggestions or comments, and other times when she's less than enthusiastic about them. 
to tell her about a spot on her blouse when she's at home and can do something about it is welcomed. In her opinion, though, calling attention to the same spot when she can do nothing about it may not be as welcome. A sadder example involved a friend of mine who was physically attacked and abused by someone at a time when she should have been in church. Because of this event, she experienced nightmares and had a ferocious struggle with fear and anger. Thoughts about being unsafe and vulnerable dominated her thinking whenever she left home. She thought, was the same attacker lurking in the shadows? Would he be waiting for her in her car? Would he follow her and force her off the road to violate her person again? So in an attempt to overcome her struggles, she shared her situation with one of her pastors. She was looking for some encouragement and godly direction and how to handle her fears and anger. Instead, the pastor who knew that the attack had taken place at a time when she was usually in prayer meeting reminded her that if she had been where she should have been prayer meeting, this would have never happened. Talk about poorly timed words. Talk about unwholesome communication. What the pastor said may have been true, but his words were certainly not according to the need of the moment. This young lady didn't respond in a very positive way. She didn't need condemnation or rebuke. She needed encouragement, support, and comfort. I learned a lot about the importance of properly timed speech from an experience I had with one of my sons years ago. I had a speaking engagement close to New York City and decided to take one of my sons with me. He had just passed his driver's test. He was a novice when it came to driving. And I I decided to take him with me for fellowship. I asked him if he wanted to drive. And I thought that would be encouraging to him that Dad had enough confidence in him that he could drive. He decided that, yes, he would like to drive. And so he began to drive the car at night. We left Philadelphia. We headed northeast on the New Jersey Turnpike. As we drew near to New York City, the traffic was horrendous. Cars were zipping in and out of their lanes. One mistake could result in a serious accident. Just ahead of us, that's what happened. Our lane that was just ahead of us narrowed and it was occupied by a large truck merged into one of the lanes. Seconds later, I looked over my right shoulder 
and caught a glimpse of a tractor-trailer truck vying for our lane on the highway. A truck driver sounded his air horn to let us know that the space belonged to him alone. Startled by the horn, my son panicked and put his foot on the brake. And so I said to him, uh, please, son, don't do that. I said it at once. Immediately, he took his foot off the brake and accelerated out of the path of the truck. Infuriated, the truck driver pulled up alongside of us, rolled down his window, and began to yell at us. After what seemed to be a very long time, he began to pass by. I warned my son, be careful. You never know what he may try to do. He may cut you off and pull over into your lane. And that's exactly what he did. As his truck got about halfway past us, he began to move over into our lane. We either had to move or be crushed. Happily for us, the next lane was unoccupied and we eased our vehicle into it. Now that we were out of danger, I decided I should strike while the iron was hot and give my son some much needed instruction on how to drive in traffic. I said to my son, Whenever you're driving in traffic like this, you should. But as I talked, I could tell by the look on my son's face that he wasn't ready for my counsel. I tried to say it in a nice voice, but still he was not ready for my counsel. What I wanted to say to my son was true. It was properly motivated. And I think I was prepared to speak in the right manner. But the principle laid down in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 20 came into play. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. My son's heart was heavy. He had just had a terrifying experience. He was embarrassed. He had wanted to show Dad that he was a capable driver who could be trusted with a family car. And then this had happened. Well, I saw his initial reaction and put myself in his place. I realized that it was not the time for correction. So I dropped the issue, put it in the hands of God, and waited for a more appropriate time. Well, that more appropriate time came later that evening as we were headed home. My son, who was still driving, turned to me and said, Okay, Dad, what did I do wrong? What should I have done differently? 
The moment for speaking had come. Now I could talk about it to his prophet and without hindering our relationship. This certainly has implications for us. Matthew 7 and verse 12 is the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That certainly has application to communication. At the very least, our Lord's directive about doing for others what you want them to do for you teaches us that you should put yourself in the place of your listeners. Before you open your mouth, think of how you would feel or be tempted to react to what you're about to say. Ask yourself, is it helpful for me to point this out at this particular moment? Would there be a better time to do it? Well, immediately after my son had had a frightening experience was not the time. How do I feel when someone tries to discuss heavy or controversial issues at times when I'm emotionally and physically exhausted? For example, if I poured out my heart in preaching, I've been very careful to present to the people important information that would be helpful for them. If immediately after I preached and I'm tired from pouring myself out and from just being busy that day, and someone comes up and tries to correct me or say, you sure preach long, perhaps there would be a better time for that person to talk to me, to talk to me about the length of my sermons or about other factors about the message. You see, if someone tries to reason with me or correct me when at the, I'm at the peak of tiredness or at the peak perhaps of uh, frustration, how do I respond? How am I tempted to respond to someone who makes jokes when I'm dead serious about something? How do I react when I've done my very best and someone immediately begins to call attention to my mistakes and deficiencies? Is that the time to do it? Perhaps there would be a better time to do it. 